there. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Games Podcast for July, late something or other, 27th, 26th, somewhere around that neighborhood. My name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not Summoner Wars. <laughs> and I'm uh, Jason McMaster, and my game of the week is not Monopoly. And I'm Dave Perkins, and my game of the week was gonna not be Summoner Wars, but now it's gonna not be Pat Upon 2, which I'm still playing. You can not pick Summoner Wars as well. There's no rule that says one person can't not have the same game of the week. <laughs> <laughs> can't not. I got it. All yeah. right, so I yeah, that, also... That, that sentence does involve that. some math, Dave, so... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, logic. So yeah, it's not Summoner Wars. It isn't. All right, so there's a, that's at least two of us on this podcast who did not pick as our Game of the Week Summoner Wars, and we'll actually get into that in a moment, uh, Mr. Dave Perkins, because first of all, uh, you and I have three things in common I want to briefly hmm. catch up with. Uh, McMaster, this, some of these might exclude you. I don't know. Let's find out. All right. The first thing we have in common, Dave Perkins, is that neither of us has the letter V, as in Victor, <laughs> In our name. Now, I actually, I confess I didn't vet this very well. Dave Perkins, what's your middle name? I don't have one, so you're safe. Good. So, McMaster, you don't get to be in our club. Good. Because you claim to have the middle name Van, which I, I've never seen your long-form birth certificate, so I can't verify. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll fax it to you. By the way, McMaster, it occurred to me, uh, so like Van McMaster... I, one reason I don't believe that is that that's not real. That can't be real because I think you must have like seen the movie Van Helsing and thought that was really cool, and so you wanted to give yourself a name like that. But you can't do that. Like, like McMaster is Irish, and then that Van blah blah blah. That's like some like Germanic Bulgarian thing. So it would be like someone being named um, like uh, O. Schlimmelman. You know, like you can't <laughs> mix certain ethnicities. So. Well. Uh, you know, the C in my name is actually underlined because it's supposed to be MacMaster, so it's Scottish. But on my mom's side, the riches uh, are from Germany, and that was my grandfather's name was Van Rich. Okay, well, you might want to consider patching your name. Nope. <laughs> I'm going to be Jason Tomchick McMaster. Nope, sorry. I've, I've not authorized that. That's a trademark violation. So at any rate, uh, McMaster, you can't be in, in this, elusive, this elite club of the, two, of the things that Dave Perkins and I have in common yet. But you've got two more chances. Okay, okay, cool. Dave Perkins, you and I are both in line for bionic body parts. When you were last going to be on the podcast, I think you were going to get like a bionic leg. What's going on with that? Yeah, um, seems like... Every time I am involved in this podcast, I'm having knee surgery, and it happened again on Monday. I had my meniscus repaired, so my knee's all swollen, and I've got it elevated on my bed as we talk. Oh, so you're um, you're doing you're like laid up, taking like a kind of a vacation where you sit in bed and play iPad games. That's exactly right. Kind of like if I had the flu, I'd do that too. I can speak firsthand about how well that works. Yeah. Now mm -hmm. I'm supposed to get a bionic tooth. That's you know I'm just kind of on a. I'm on standby for that. I'll eventually have a bionic tooth. But do they? did they put any cool things in your leg? Oh, no, not this time. Last summer they put a new ACL in. Uh, it was the ACL of a cadaver, I, I think. I t might have already explained yeah. that yep. Yep. it was a, evidently the cadaver of a man who was born of Pakistani and Scottish origins because I randomly sort of burst out into a Pakistani slash Scottish <laughs> accent. So if during the podcast that happens, that's that's what's going on there. 
I, I would be curious to hear what a Pakistani slash Scottish accent sounds like, so I'm keeping my fingers it's, crossed. It's pretty strange. <laughs> uh, so the other thing that we have in common, uh, McMaster, do you, are you in line for any bionic body parts? Now, what the hell are you in line for bionically? Uh, a tooth. I'm supposed to get like a. Oh, I, right, I have a right. tooth. It's not a major thing, but eventually the dentist is like, "You're going to need an implant here." So he sends me to a specialist who charges me like a hundred dollars to tell me that it's going to cost three thousand dollars <laughs> to, yeah. to get my new tooth. So I was like, "Well, Ooh, when you get it though, can you get like one like Yuri had in uh, Dune with poison gas in it, so that in case uh, the floating fat man is above you, dropping spittle on you, that you could." bite it and then kill him but unfortunately it'd be brad Dorif, but whatever well exactly see i would know from experience how you know i've seen that done incorrectly hopefully i would sure. do it correctly right 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 i mean you know doris not a great guy in that movie being like Peter devries but i mean you know he's not a total douche like uh you know baron harkonnen right he's no kenneth mcmillan or whoever that right, is. right right yeah. Uh, well, no, I don't, I don't know. That probably costs extra, so I might just go for the basic $3,000 flat-out bionic tooth that can chew steel or whatever it does. I'm not clear on its capabilities yet. but uh, oh, Get, like, some uh, breath freshener or something put in there. Oh, like a little dispenser where I can yeah. just, like, flick it with my tongue and it drops out of yeah. me. I like That'd that. Awesome. I'm, I'm more thinking, like, a Pez thing. Like, I don't know. But, but good. I, I like where you're going, McMaster. Good. Yeah. So McMaster also uh, has a... You do not not have a V in your name. You are not in line for bionic body parts. So you have one more chance to oh, join man. the exclusive Tom Chick, Dave Perkins, things they have in common club. Not going to happen, but you don't think? Try. Okay. No. McMaster, what sort of? Going. Let's see. Well, let's let's find out. McMaster, what sort of uh, case do you have on your iPad? I have one that's the. Um, you can like set it up. It's like a folding bookcase. So far, so good. What's Targus. It, right? What's it? Oh, Targus is the brand name? Yeah. Yeah, sorry. No good. So, Dave Perkins, you and I have the same case oh. for our iPads. Do you know what it's called? I actually don't know. It's, it's like a, something. Yeah, because when I Google searched it, I got all these Chicago Bears paraphernalia that wasn't the right one. So... So just a little backstory. Dave Perkins, you and McMaster, by the way, were instrumental in this incredibly generous, and, and I've, I've just been so grateful over the last few weeks. Uh, you guys got folks to donate to get me this freaking ridiculously sexy, cool iPad. And as well, uh, you said, you know what, Let, we'll get you a case. Uh, pick out what case you want, and, and we'll get that for you. So I've seen plenty of my friends with cases. Uh, some of which I kind of don't like, some of which I do like. All I really knew is that I wanted one that made it stand up. So, Dave, you sent me a link to the one that you have got, and I was immediately like, yes, that one right there. That looks sexy. So you guys got me that one. Did and it come in? It came in. It's sitting here right now. And what has happened, Dave Perkins, to my iPad, and I know you know how this goes, it has gone from being sleek and sexy to being uh, sophisticated and classy. Yes, mm. it's now in this like this leather, very businessy, no nonsense case. Uh, you know, it's 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 black, so it's still cool. My friend Christian has a really bright red case that looks like something a seventh grade girl would bring to school. Uh, <laughs> his has a built-in like keyboard, like a Bluetooth keyboard. I don't I don't really need that nonsense. It just makes it so much bigger. I've got another friend of mine with an iPad. It has some kind of like rubber band that closes it shut. I don't need any of that. This. What? It's like it's it's like so tasteful and classy. This would belong in a billion dollar boardroom, as far as I'm oh, concerned. 
See, mine has the band on it, but it makes it look like one of those old books. You know, kind nice. of. Yeah, I like, the, I like the band across it. You know what that band... See, I have a wallet that has like a built-in rubber band, and what it makes me think of... This is really obscure. Uh, there's a movie called Gridlocked, where Tupac Shakur and Tim Roth play yes. heroin addicts. And there's a great scene, and I don't know much about being addicted to heroin, but I understand that when you're addicted to heroin, you carry around what's called your kit. And sure. your kit is a, basically a baggie with like your needle and your... Uh, that rubber tu- surgical tubing you use to tie off, all that stuff. You need a spoon, I think. I think you need a candle or a little uh, can of Sterno or something to heat up your heroin. I don't really know how it works. But your kit, in the movies that I've seen, and that consists mainly of gridlocked, uh, Tim Roth's kit has a little rubber band that goes around it. So, McMaster, uh, when you've got a rubber band on your iPad case, it just makes me think of people who do heroin. That's really not. Yeah, I mean, I'll accept that ever. I mean, many other things I, I can't think of. Yeah. Uh, Dave Perkins, how did you come across this awesome case? Um, that's a good question. I can't remember. I think I just, uh, I think I just searched online for something that would make a little stand. And it, did you know it makes a stand in two different directions, like semi-horizontal and semi-vertical? Okay. Wait a minute, because sometimes when I stand it up, it's like that's a little steep. I can get used to it. How do no, you, you can, do it? So that's like at a 70-degree angle, but you can reverse it and put it at a 20-degree angle if you just sort of lay it flat-ish. You know what I mean? No, I don't, but I'm trying. So stand it up. Okay, it's standing up. Stand it up like normal, and then just like tip it over. Towards you. Holy cats! Wow, why did I I I suck at engineering? I never, (laughs) in a million years, it never would have occurred to me to do that. (laughs) It didn't occur to me either. So it doesn't sound like Jason's in the club there either, because I too had to be shown that by Michelle, my wife. She said, hey, check it out. I discovered it while watching Netflix and like iTunes movies in bed or whatever. I would set set something like that, mine on, on my chest, and I would just like, Put it in the farthest back slot, push it forward. It keeps it kind of a interesting angle, that kind of thing. There's all sorts of weird uh, angles you can put those things at that are kind of comfortable. True. I think we may have lost Tom at this point. He may be oh, putting it crying. down and putting it up and putting it down. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, crying. I'm just going to this for an hour. Yeah. I never. Why? I just feel like like some. You sh- this is like such a common sense thing that mm. how could I have ever missed this? That you just turn it over and it's at a much sleeker angle. That is awesome. Uh, you know something else I love about this case, Dave Perkins? Mm-hmm. So, does either of you watch Breaking Bad by any chance? Yeah, I do. Are you are you caught up with the latest season? No, I'm in the middle of two. Okay. McMaster, how are you with your Breaking Bad? Uh, I'm not going to be able to help you out there. Okay, well then, well the thing is, it's a minor spoiler. I, I'll be careful, I won't give anything away, but in the, the last episode of Breaking Bad, there was um, uh, a sort of a, a heist involving a magnet. It's not that. That's all I'm going to tell you. And uh, when they determine that the magnet is going to work, uh, Jesse, played by Aaron Paul, has this characteristically enthusiastic response about the magnet, which I will now play for you. Here's his response after they determine that the magnet works. Yeah, bitch! Magnets! Oh! <laughs> when I is that what you said? That that is so. When I close the lid of this iPad, you know, there's a little magnet there that closes it shut, and it's a, it's very uh, it's very discreet. It's not like a an overwhelming thing. It makes a kind of a a decisive 
plop, or maybe you'd characterize it as a soft thud. But like the way it clicks shut with the magnet, not with Aaron Paul's degree of enthusiasm, but with that sentiment at about like 10% of the of the intensity, you know, I close it shut and I'm like, yeah, bitch, magnets. That's kind of my responses. I love how oh. that goes with the magnet. Was there anyone there you could high five or chest bump? You know what? Uh, I, I will try that with my cat next time. We'll see how that goes. Uh. <laughs> yeah, you just sort of you pick your cat up under its arms and just sort of throw it toward yourself. And do a chest do. bump. Yeah, I yeah. like that. Uh, and you know what? He would, my cat would totally stand for that. So, good. Yeah. Uh, all right, so Dave Perkins, you and I have those three things in common. McMaster, sorry you can't be in our club. That's all right. I'll be in a club for people who have seen the Pixies at least twice. That's rude. You would just straight to the nuclear option. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely uh, done. By the way, before we get into uh, what Dave Perkins and I don't have in common, mm-hmm. uh, McMaster, I, I understand you got a little taste of a game this past weekend, enough of a taste that you just decided to stop <laughs> playing it and wait for it to come out. What do you have to say, if anything, so far, about Guild Wars 2? Because it had the open beta weekend. I think this is their final one before the game goes live on the 25th. Uh, what was your reaction to you know, basically dipping your toe in? Well, I, I went through and I played each of the characters for at least an hour. Or not care, you know, each of the races, not every character. Um, now, I have a dumb question because I've only tried one of the races. Is, uh, yeah. is it like three races? Like, what are the races? Five. Or five races. Yeah, there's a. Uh, first of all, if you're familiar with Guild Wars 1, the Char is now a playable race, which were the bad guy. Right? The They're like the cat orc kind of people, right? They, they have a super cool starting area. Um, then there's uh, the Norn, which are the Nords. Yeah, just with an N. And, uh, is that the human? No, the, they're like, uh, they're kind of a combination of like barbarians and dwarves, cause they're like all, you know, metalworking and everything. They live in the snowy mountains and stuff, but they're, they're huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, uh, the humans, on standard stuff there, and also my favorite starting area. Um, there's, uh. It's your favorite? Cause that's the boring vanilla race, and they have your favorite yeah, starting area? Their starting area has, to me, of the stuff I saw, it has like, one of the coolest like intro parts but uh there's the sylvans which are their elves but their elves are like really like they they have like twigs and leaves growing out of them kind of thing it's not like a straight up tolkien elf um have you seen by the way the trailer mcmaster for a movie called the odd life of timothy green no Okay, that, that makes me think. It's about a little boy who's got twigs growing out of him. That made me think of your description of the elves. What it makes me think of is, like, Guillermo del Toro. like uh, a little for, Pan's Labyrinth action? Yeah, yeah. You nice. know, like, that, that. that's really kind of what it uh, reminded me of the most. Um, and then, uh, finally, you've got, oh, God, what are they called? Gnomes. Uh, uh, well, it's like a gnome, but they're like... They, it's basically gnomes, yeah. But they've got like big ears and they're kind of slender, so it's it's a little strange. Looking. But they're little tiny, the little tiny short people, right? Right, right. They're engineers, right? So it's gnomes. Um, but yeah, of all the starting areas, the humans was pretty rad. So was the char. I, I mean, all of them were good, but the humans just really stood out to me for some reason. By, uh, by starting area, you mean the place where everybody's hanging out and then they make parties to go off on the instances. Uh, no, it's like, it, it just like kind of the newbie zone. Like, in that game, when you, you like, leave your, uh, st- when you leave the beginning of the game or whatever, once you've created your character and you go forth, uh, there's all, there's some huge thing going on for each of the races. 
Um, it's sort of the, the tutorial part. slash introduction area, right? Is that right, what you mean? Right, right, yeah. I mean, but there's still, like, those random events. There's still, mm-hmm. you know, this and that going on. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, the humans and the char are both, at, like, not with each other, but they're at war. And uh, both of those intros are really kind of interesting. Um, hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, McMaster, you can go to another race's starting area. Like you, you're, yes. That just determines where you start out by default. But if you want to jump over and do someone else's starting area, I think yeah, you can do that, right? Yeah, it's like I don't, I don't fully understand how it works exactly because I didn't look into it that much. But uh, I was reading a chat where people were talking about there's these uh, portal gates you can take. Uh, that just lead to each uh, player, or, you know, the areas, the starting areas. And that's a bit of what, what Dave, you were mentioning. There are these hub areas where you can just hang out to group with people, uh, and everybody's yeah. got a portal to these hub areas, and from there you can go to the world, the, the realm versus realm, the big open world multiplayer, or you can go to their little instanced multiplayer, like, dual things. Uh, you can go mm-hmm. to different people's starting areas. Um, um, but, yeah, it's uh, uh, one thing that struck me, other than the fact that it's just, like, a really attractive game, um, is that... The random events are they're interesting and varied, and I don't know if they had them turned up to like turbo mode because of the beta, but there was like a lot of events going on. I, it was it was hard to walk a few feet without getting stuck in some sort of event. It's a very uh, they do a great job of creating a sense of a dynamic world rather than just yeah. wading into fields of mobs hanging around waiting for you to kill them. Yeah, right. It makes it tough to play other MMOs. In a way, yeah, it really does. Um, I'm curious about the classes. I'd, I'd like to see what happens once you get up there and level. Um, I'm assuming that you can do the same thing you did in Guild Wars, which is choose like another profession. Um, Not really. It's the way they, rather than lumping two professions together, you know, Guild Wars was based on right. you pick two professions and then that gives you two different pools of, of skills and abilities. Uh, yeah. Secret World works the same way, by the way, with the, the right. weapons. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think Guild Wars is based. Guild Wars 2 is based more on... Uh, chunks of skills that go into different slots. Like you have your class, and then depending on what weapon your class is using, right. that well, determines that. the pool of skills. Yeah, is yeah. If you equip like a secondary weapon, you get two or three more skills on your bar, etc. Yeah. Um, so it, it's not the same Guild Wars system. It, it is in a way more like. Uh, no, it's not even like Secret World. Uh, I, I think it's very much its own thing. They they have. They have a unique angle on the character development, on the way the skills unfold. Uh, they have a unique angle on a lot of stuff. Uh, that's why I'm excited about that one. So, yeah, Master, cool. when can we play for real? Uh, I believe what the head start starts August 25th, and the general uh, general game uh, start is the 28th. McMaster, I'd like to play sooner than that. Can you please talk to them? All right. Yeah, well, I mean, we can get Eric back and just browbeat him. <laughs> Professor, do you know how many days August 25th? That's 31 days from today. I just did some math. What am I supposed to do for 31 days? Um, well, obviously not the secret world, since I think you're done with it. Uh, I'm kind uh, of angry at the secret world right now, actually. Why? why uh, so, so, Dave, are you, I forget, are you much of an MMO guy? Like, is all of this Greek to you? No, actually, the last MMO I even tried was Guild Wars 1. So it's been a long time, but I have listened to your podcast about Secret World and read your articles about it, so I know why you're upset, both of you. Although well, I, maybe Jason's upset about something different. I do want to hear why Jason is, is upset, but but real quick, uh, Dave Perkins, will we get you back into the fold with the release of Guild Wars 2? I don't think I have a computer that will run it, so probably not. 
how much okay well you know what we'll uh we're gonna try to browbeat you into that yes <laughs> and you'll have to browbeat me into getting a new computer first right now come on it's it's one of those like fairly friendly system requirement games isn't it like do you really have like some 10 year old computer that can't even run starcraft one what do you got going over there um i have a dell laptop it's about two years old uh, yeah, I will say that like a friend of mine played the beta on an i5 with an HD 3000 built-in graphics card at 720, 1280 by 720, and it wasn't bad. So you, you know, you, you, you never I, know. I mean, I couldn't even tell if that was good news for me or bad news. For me. <laughs> <laughs> well, HD 3000 is not. It's like an onboard video card that uses your RAM to help. So. Oh. I'll just pretend I understood that, too, and be like, oh, yeah, well, then I should be all set. All right, just hit your laptop specs. God. (laughs) Can't you just see them from where you are? Sure. Somehow, magically, (laughs) since we're on Skype? Oh, yeah, that's right. No. So, Mr. Van McMaster, why are you upset at Secret World? Uh, you you seemed pretty forgiving, like, uh, you know, you would grumble appropriately, but it didn't seem like any of the things were huge obstacles for you. Uh, I decided I had my fill of it until it gets a lot more sort of love and repair and some things get addressed. Uh, what what ticked you off? All right, so you know how we were doing Black Sun, Red Sand? Um, yeah, that's one of the later quests. It's a story quest when you get to Egypt. It's in the second area yeah. of Egypt. Yep, it's a Actually, it goes parter. throughout much, right? It goes throughout Egypt, right? Right. Right. Since I guess there's only two areas in Egypt, that's weird. But anyway, um, <clears throat> so uh, Tom and I stopped around six, so I, I decided to go ahead and finish it up since he wasn't coming back, and uh, I went and did all the parts up until tier nine. Okay, and tier nine. I don't think it's possible to beat with my build, no matter what happens. We'll make so, a new build. I'm going to have to, but at this point, I don't want to make a new build. Uh, I've almost got my uh, my first one done uh, completely, mm-hmm. and uh, and I really don't want to stray off. But I'm also kind of getting tired of Egypt. Right. Uh, but I yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me that there's like an actual storyline quest where one of their suggested decks cannot beat it. And it's not just one. There's multiple ones. But, uh, so so what it is is it, it looks like it's dumped you into a situation that requires players to use a certain type of build to get past that right. situation, you're saying? Okay. Yes. And so it's basically an AoE build. You can't go past it unless you get a, you know, you build an AoE build. Like so a bunch of crappy single- little cheap monsters are, sp- are swarming you and you yeah. need to do damage to all of them at once. So if you're right. if you're focused on a guy that's just like hitting one dude spe- super hard, he's never going to get through that situation, you're saying? Right. So okay. Because, yeah, you get attacked by three waves of eight zombies and or something like that. And they're, they have like 1,500 hit points, so it's not bad, but, you know, there's just so many of them. So, um, well, Master, I... Go ahead, Dave, sorry. I was just wondering if can't you team up? Couldn't somebody with an no. AOE build join you? Oh, so it's a solo instance. Ah, one of those forces you through solo instances, right? So here, okay. McMaster, I certainly understand your frustration, but I kind of feel like part of the way Secret World is designed is so that you can have multiple builds and swap them out at different times. Like, I know, for instance, when right. I first started playing, and it doesn't do a really good job, by the way, of letting you know it wants you to do this. Uh, where I first started running into problems was I was building a character 
like everyone else that just does DPS, damage per second. It's based on just right. killing stuff. But I would get in situations, namely where I would want to do an instance with other people, where nobody was healing. And that's fine because like no, there's no place early in the game where it asks you to be you know, a healer or a tank or a DPS. So people just make dudes that do damage. So by necessity, by going through these instances, I was like, well, I guess I have to be the guy who heals because no one else is going to do it. So I had this separate healing build. And I would toggle between the two of them if I was soloing or playing with an instance. And from there, I was like, oh, well, you know what? Since I have these two heat builds that I can toggle between, I'm also going to make a build that does what you called McMaster AOE, that area of effect stuff, uh, to just run around and kill a lot of zombies, uh, you know, cheap, low hit point monsters. So the game never really told me to do this, but I feel like I sort of figured out somewhere along the way that, hey, I can have these different builds, and by just going into a little menu, I can switch between them. Uh, and it sounds like you're just kind of resistant to playing that way. You've got the build you want to play, and you're well, kind of resenting the fact that it's expecting you to, to fiddle with that. Well, I want to finish this part of the quest, mm -hmm. and I don't want to have to go back and grind to build up a different weapon skill. Right. Because neither of the weapons I use are... I mean, one of them is okay AoE, but the other is not. So oh, you know what, makes? I didn't even think of that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So some... If you I pick have to two weapons... Weapon right. skills. So I like, see. Not, yeah, it's not like I, I mind changing points. It's like I have to now go get another freaking weapon. I have to get it up. To ah, certain, fair enough. Right, uh, right. So it, it just kind of... Why Why the hell? You know, uh, I don't know. I, I think maybe I can find something to get through it, but it's just really irritating to me to have to go off on like these huge other thing to like build up a weapon and build up my skills to a point where I can beat one part of one stupid quest. So. Right, right. Uh, Ugh. And it right. blocks you from going to Transylvania and all that, so that's what I want to do. Whatever. So that, that's three of us on this podcast who are not playing The Secret World right now. <laughs> uh, I might still play it a little bit, but uh, yeah, I'm kind of irritated. Uh, all right, so uh, there's our Secret World update. Now, Dave Perkins, here's where you and I are going to part ways here. I For now. For now, maybe. Maybe you'll bring me around. Maybe I'll bring you around. Let's see how this goes. This is going to be like the Lincoln-Douglas debates, kind of. Yes. Uh, by the way, I call Lincoln. I'm Lincoln. You can oh, well, that's fine. Douglas? Okay. We probably shouldn't go for four hours, though. <laughs> is that how long those were? Oh, man. <laughs> did, uh, did Was that carried live? Like, CNN must have uh, eaten into a lot of their regular schedule if it was a four-hour event. Wow. This is true. This debate is about... A wretched little board game that was ported to the iPhone and the iPad called Summoner Wars, which, good lord, I cannot stand this thing. I mean, I I had someone show me the tabletop version, Dave. So my first exposure was a tabletop version with this really chintzy paper map. Um, neither of us really knew the game. We were just sort of playing it as the cards came up. Uh, and it just felt like a game where we each threw out the cards as they came up, and eventually one of us exhausted his deck, and the other guy won by default. So that was a, a lousy introduction to it. So uh, let me just say that yes, my introduction to the game was exactly how you just described it. I walked away from it, wishing that it had ended before the cards ran out, just so okay. that I could get away from it. And this was a tabletop version? So you Yeah, just, yeah. Okay. 
so then they, they release an iPhone version. Uh, I think actually you were similarly hesitant to me. Like there was, there are a lot of folks on quarter to three who are very eager to get their hands on the iPhone version. Uh, a lot of folks who I know have great taste in games who were really excited about it. Uh, and there was almost this uh, frenzied watch once the game had been submitted to Apple uh, as people were waiting for it to be approved and available on the iTunes store. And I got caught up in this. I think you did as well, Dave Perkins. I did. Uh, so it came out, and uh, we bought it. We have both played it some, and for whatever reason, we now have a bit of a difference of opinion. So what <laughs> happened to you, Dave Perkins, that this horrible, wretched little tabletop game that you were forced to sit through now appeals to you on the iPhone. Well, you set that table very nicely. But wait, <laughs> I want to know uh-huh. why you, when you challenged somebody to appear in your podcast and defend this wretched game, yep. you said you said you wanted someone to explain um, the lack of player inputs, but you didn't say what that meant to you. What do you mean by lack of how, how does the game lack player input? What does that uh, mean? I'm not sure what... Yeah, I don't remember what I might have... I, I, I can guess what I might have meant when I said that. I can't be certain. But I was probably referring to the fact that I feel that there are so few moves that the player can make at any mm-hmm. given time. And normally that's not a bad thing. Normally that works with like an... Uh, sort of an elegant game where, where you get very f- few decisions, but they, they have serious consequences. Um, you know, I, I think of a game called Small World I've been playing, where there's not a lot of player input, but each bit of player input makes a huge difference. Um, for me, right. one of the problems with Summoner Wars is that you have very f- few inputs, and most of the game, and I, I won't even say most, to me it feels like so much of the game is driven by the randomness of the card draws and the randomness of the die rolls. And considering that I get very few moves and that that randomness drives most of the game, I sort of feel like I don't have much of an effect on what's going on. So maybe that's what I was getting at. Does that kind of make sense? Oh, yeah, totally. I had that same first impression. And Jason, by the way, do you know how to play it or have you seen it? No, I, I haven't played it. I do you, Yeah. Do so you Dave, why don't, explain it a tiny yeah, Dave, bit? Why don't you just sort of give a, yeah, give a basic Everything. overview for how the game works? Yeah. All right. Well, it's played on a chintzy paper map. <laughs> which, which, by the way, is, that's that's like, do people actually use that? Can't you just sort of figure out a grid on a table? I have no idea. Actually, okay. I only did it the one time, and I can imagine going back to it. Just like I played a game of Ascension after playing it on the phone for a few months, and it was so tedious. I just couldn't wait for it to be over. But I, you know, can't wait to get back to play it on the phone either. So, okay, I first of all, love that game. Yeah, you're in big trouble for saying that, and we will have to have you back on another podcast for the second round of debates where I defend how awesome Ascension is as a tabletop game. But we will table that until later. (laughs) Okay. Well, um, so anyway, it's played on a... I think it's a chessboard. It's 8x8. Could be 9x9 board. And uh, onto onto the squares of the board, you play cards. Um, Some of the cards are walls, and walls can block enemies and can also... um, summon units for you. Uh, so they're kind of a defensive and offensive sort of card. And the rest of the cards are characters. One of them is your summoner, who if that person dies, you lose. Um, so so the game like, is very focused about go kill the other summoner. Exactly. It's really the only way the game ends, as far as I know. I'm sure that's true. Um, all the rest of the cards are either common units, which are cheap to summon and not very powerful, and then champion units, which are obviously expensive and 
very powerful. They have special abilities. Everything has a special ability of some kind. Mm -hmm. um, some of them are actually negative. Uh, so the the thing the thing I like about the game it's it's turn based. I love that. It's asynchronous. I love that too. Um, in fact, it's a game better played when the other person is not there watching because uh, whenever I played real time game with somebody, I felt like I've I'm keeping them waiting, and I actually don't go through all the different moves I could be considering. Like you, I thought that there were just a couple of things I could do each turn, um, but it turns out that's just wrong. For example, maybe two weeks ago, when I was just starting to learn it, I was playing a game with N. Koan. He's a quarter-to-three player. Actually, I actually haven't played a game with anybody except quarter-to-three people. Um, in any case, he put me in a situation where I had maybe six or seven different options, and the options involve moving three of your cards and then attacking with three of your cards. Sometimes you can increase that number, or even decrease it if it's to your advantage. But so yeah, you have it'd be almost like playing chess, where you can move three pieces at once, except with far fewer pieces to mm -hmm. consider. Um, and, and where the pieces, pieces have to roll dice to fight each other. They do. They have to roll dice, and that can be agonizing. And I don't know how this game could do away with that, uh, but I'd love to figure out a way because it's it's a little bit tedious to beat someone when they roll poorly or to lose when you roll poorly. Fortunately, it only happens maybe once out of ten games in my experience, but still, that seems a little much. On the bright side, the dice rolling when your cards attack each other um, can give the game sort of a narrative feel, like you send in a champion unit wading into the enemy cards and that unit just kicks everyone's butt because it just rolls really well and it just feels like that card did something for you. Right. It wasn't it doesn't feel like a random event anymore. It feels like a an epic part of a story. And if that guy falls, you know, if the enemy is able to bring him down, it feels like that that your opponent did something more marvelous than simply roll dice against a card. Well, and to compound that a little bit, Dave, you know, you have to have drawn that card. Like, the card has to be, you know, I, I'm being a little disingenuous when I say there are very few things to do, because they do have a cool resource mechanic where the cards that you draw that you are playing are also your fuel to bring out cards. You have to decide to discard cards to, to build up the resource to bring them onto the board. So exactly. not only does that, that champion make these great rolls, but you had to like choose to bring him out, unless he was your starting guy. You had to you know store up the magic to summon him. Uh, so there's a lot that goes into that kind of the, these narrative heroic moments. Right. In the Summoner League thread, I told everybody I was going to come defend the game, asked people if they wanted to chime in, and four or five people did. And um, one of the users, Harkonis, uh, brought up that exact thing. The cards are used for both playing on the board and as the resource you use in order to call those units onto the board. And once they're used, they're gone. You can never get them back. So occasionally you're thrown into a situation where you're in a pretty desperate situation. You've got a champion in your hand. You'd love to put that champion on the board. You can't afford it. And it might be a better idea to put that champion into your pile, which will then allow you to recruit something smaller. But it's pretty agonizing, that decision. Uh, to right. see your champion go as a single card towards some cheap unit, which might just save your bacon. Um, you can also kill your own 
cards off in order to put them in your own pile. You know what? I've you, seen the that's enemy right. Does that right when it lets you attack? Like I always like sometimes I've got attacks. You know, you can do three attacks in a move, and sometimes I've set it up where I can attack a couple of enemies, and it's still waiting for me to do my third attack, even though there's no enemy in range. But it's lighting up my own units, and it never even occurred to me to maybe spend a unit as magic fodder. Because you're right, when you kill something, that gives you resources to summon more things. So I guess that's what it's doing there, isn't it? Right. So take this chain of events into account when you're thinking about what sort of options are available. I'm not just you, but everybody, um, but specifically you, since I'd love to convince you that this <laughs> game is worth playing. So this happened just today. Um, I never finished that Anne Cohen story. So uh, just to illustrate how much thinking I do about this game, first of all, sometimes I just look at the board for five minutes and then just shut it off. I can't even decide. I'm frozen. <laughs> by all the possibilities uh, which are all carrying risks. None of them... I mean, if, if, this is an, if this is a move that's obviously good, I'll take it, but I'd say once out of every ten times that I play a turn, I, I can't even make it. I just shut it off, and then I come back to it later. Um, that indicates to me that there's some serious thinking going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for the Encoin game, I was making bread and I was kneading the dough and I set the board up in front of myself and I kneaded the dough for 10 minutes, which is about <laughs> usual for kneading dough. And I stared at the board the entire time thinking I could do this, I could do that, I could do this, I could do that. That is And awesome. eventually I just shut it off. I finished, I finished making bread before I could make a move in Summoner <laughs> Wars. And right at the end of it, right as I was like washing my hands off and still looking at the board, I thought, oh, I could do that, you know, and I made some kind of a move, which I thought was really cool. And I lost on the next turn when he made a cooler move. So, I, but still, I felt good about the fact that I had spent so much time thinking and I actually came up with something that wasn't obvious, but was actually really good. Right. You know, when you so, describe that, I just think of, you know, there are certain games that really give you, they're like brain food. You know, you can you can you can sort of look at them and think about them and mull over them, and it's a completely different kind of experience than a lot of video games give us. Uh, so that that's right. great that you put it that way. Yeah. The big games online right on quarter to three right now are Ascension, which is in its like ninth month in a row of leagues, and Neuroshima Hex, which is about in month Ugh. three, I think. Another well, game I can't stand, by the way. Uh, I can see why you can't stand it if you can't stand Summoner Wars. But then I mean, I love the design yeah. of Nurishima Hex. I, like, I, I'm convinced Nurishima Hex is ingenious and brilliant, and I wish I loved it. And I'm convinced Summoner Wars is horrible, and I'm glad I don't like it. So they're, they're different <laughs> there. You you have a different job in terms of convincing me about Summoner Wars. But uh, So I'm sorry, yeah. you were saying those, those three games are, are very popular right now in the leagues. And was your point that right. those are all brain food games? Mm, I don't know if Ascension's oh. really a brain food game. I feel like I feel like I never play an Ascension game and then think to myself, I did poorly there. I did that wrong. Instead, Ascension is just something I do, and for some reason it's fun, and I just see what happens. And if I win, I win. If I lose, I lose. I don't feel like I had a whole lot of control over that. Yeah. Neuroshima Hex, I... Yeah. Nurishima Hex and Summoner Wars are both very proactive. I mean, you're, you're reacting to stuff a lot in, in Ascension, and uh, that's not the case in starting Summoner Wars and Nurishima Hex. That's true. But even Hex is way less... I just call myself an idiot way less when I play Nurishima Hex. Uh, maybe once every few games I'll say, oh, I shouldn't have done that, I should have done this. And in Summoner Wars, it's like once every couple moves, I think... How did I not see to do that? That was a brilliant move by my opponent kind of thing. 
So well, you're a better man than me with hex then. So McMaster, I tried to. Show, I was going to briefly show you Nurishima hex. I know we've both got it. We should we should have get a game going because that's one of those games that if I play against someone who's remotely good at it, it's it's going to be an awful experience for me because I'm going to lose decisively. But Nurishima hex for me is all about how much of an idiot I am. Because when I play, I am consistently missing the patterns on the board that make the other guy win. And the AI is so good at setting up those patterns, and I just can't suss them out. So Nurishima Hex makes me hate myself. Uh, so that that's a tough thing there for me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll play with you because I'm really not good at it. I've only played maybe one game, so I'm pretty terrible. Yeah, so McMaster, you and I playing Nurishima Hex is like two dudes playing chess who can never set up a checkmate with each other. Uh, so we'll fumble through that. We'll, we'll come back and report on that. But but so Summoner Wars now, uh, so so it's got a league going. It's very popular. Uh, what else do you have for me, Dave, to explain to me how great it is? So it's brain food. I'll certainly grant you that. Well, soon different. Another quarter of the three user, he pointed out that of those three games, he feels like Summoner War is the least random. He feels like you have the most control over what happens in the game, and I totally agree with that. You know, that's like crazy I, talk to me. Explain, because it's so, like, dice and, and draw-driven. How, how do you say that? I think the drawing thing, the dice is clearly random. And like I said, the best you can say for it, I think, is that it adds to the narrative of the games, and it actually gives somebody who's poor at the game a little bit of a chance to win. Um... Whereas the drawing, I, I thought that was really, like you said, really capricious and that the game depended way too much on the draw. But everybody, um, Tim James chimed in, Mark L. in the league thread, both saying that they they just don't see that um, building your deck or, or going through your deck is an issue at all. It actually just contributes more interesting decisions to what you have to, to wade through. Um like, I, I can't even think of a time when I've thought, in any game, I wish that I had drawn differently. Like, it just didn't have any bearing on the matter. It's it's always possible at the end of your turn to throw away whatever many cards you want to into your into your pile that will allow you to summon more. So they, they never go to waste. Let me, let me ask you this, Dave. Have you fiddled much with the deck building of it? Because it gives you default decks for the different sides, but with the deck building, you can substitute in... Uh, I, I think most of the sides have creatures that aren't by default in the deck. So you can put in new creatures, you can put in new events. It even has mercenaries, which are like neutral creatures that any side can use. So one thing that I wonder is if you're making a deck isn't that going to be more common, where you're like, oh, I really want this card that I've put in the deck that I want to use that would help me now? Uh, do you think if you invested a lot of time in the deck building, you might more keenly feel the randomness of that aspect of the game? But I guess in the last week I have. I haven't played a single game where I haven't fiddled around with the deck a little bit. So um, I, I usually, I mean, I'm not very sophisticated at the game yet, so I just tend to say, well, I don't usually play that unit. I just throw it in my magic pile. So maybe I'll just replace it with this other thing, which is which totally misses the point of the game, which is that some cards have to go in your pile. Some of them right. need to be thrown away. So my technique is clearly substandard, but I'm still learning. I mean, even today, a couple of my games were decided by me just not understanding how the rules work still, and I've probably played 30 games of it. So it's pretty it's pretty finicky, and if you're if you get upset, like I do sometimes, about making losing a game because I've simply made a mistake, not because like I did a, a bad 
decision, but I just didn't understand or remember how a card worked. That can be frustrating, but slowly right. that's going away and being replaced by, you know, it's really my fault that I lost that game. Not the dice, not the drawing. My fault. So then let me uh, let me get a little uh, dirty here and maybe hit you below the belt. But uh, in those instances where you make a mistake, fortunately you can just use the undo feature. That That's a great boon, isn't it? <laughs> that was nice. Nicely done. Right there. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and let the listener understand by your sarcastic tone that there isn't an undo feature. And, 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 that, I, and I, that's... That's that's madness to me, considering that it's asynchronous, and when you make a move, it's not revealing anything. Like, what if you accidentally misclick? Like, like it seems like such a no-brainer that in a game like this, they should make allowances for the fact that, oh, I didn't mean to click there, I didn't mean to do that move, or I didn't understand the rule. You know, nothing has changed. No new cards have turned up. Uh, I, I just feel that the lack of an undo button is a, a little unforgivable and drives me a little batty when I'm in the same situation as you, where I'm learning the game. Uh, I think the problem is the, the programming. There's I think there's eight teams with more to come, and they're all very, very different in flavor. Um, and some of the things you would click on do reveal information, and some don't. It's not a simple matter of just checking whether dice were rolled. It's going to be... It's going to be more complicated than that to catch every possible allowable undo. And Can you give me an example? Like, what's an example of... I, I mean, I'm not disputing you're right. I guess I just don't know the game well enough. Like, I, I can't think of any move I would make on my turn short of rolling a die. You're right about that. That I shouldn't be able to take back. Well, you know what? I guess there are things that will let you maybe draw a card or something. Or burn. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it shouldn't be that hard. Um, I actually said that because in the Nuroshima Hex um, developers thread, I and others asked for an undo button for multiplayer, and, and that's they gave what you they one. said. No, they, they didn't. Or Nuroshima Hex has an undo button. Are you crazy? If you're playing the AI, it does. But if you're <gasps> playing against people, it doesn't. No way. Oh, I'm wow. I'm aghast at that. So I obviously have not played enough Nuroshima Hex multiplayer. There is no undo button in multiplayer for that, huh? No. And that's, that's exactly what the developer said, is what I just said. He said, to try to figure out how all the teams would work and how you could legally let people undo things without giving away information would just be really hard, and we're just not probably going to do that. I don't believe that for a second. What is the hidden information in Nurishima Hex? I don't know. I, I have to think about it next time I play Summoner Wars or Nurishima Hex. I, I that's yeah I I'm calling bull on Nuroshima. I love Big Daddy Creations. They've done some great stuff, but uh, they're the guys that did Nuroshima Hex. I don't buy that for a second. Good lord, Nuroshima Hex is all about everything being in front of you. Uh, all right, so so anyway, but that's I, I fully accept. Maybe that is some programming challenge they're just not up to. Uh, so there's that. But then another thing that drives me a little batty. Uh, and I'm sure you've keenly felt this, is how poorly documented it is. I mean, basically, it's a it's a pretty simple game, but I just... I, I, like, I still don't know what is the deal with ranged fire. Like, does, do, is all ranged fire just three squares? Is that varied? Where can I look that up? Uh, like, like, something that simple, I don't understand why they don't do a better job of conveying some of that stuff. Yeah, I... I can't really defend them on that score. There's tons of times I've asked, had to ask questions in the thread, um, and other people have too, and other people have clarified things like what you just asked. I could, I must have played a dozen games, and throughout those dozen games, I still wondered how far can my unit shoot? Right. Just like you just said. Um, so, 
So, so you will grant me poorly documented, and it should have an undo feature. Uh, okay, here, here's another one. So, you, you okay? Let me let me give you this one though, because one of the things that I do love about it is how uh, asymmetrical the sides are. I feel that asymmetry is inherently interesting. I love asymmetry uh, with my gameplay. Uh, so, I one of the things that I love about the game is how different the sides are and how they each have their own different mechanics and how they express things like, you know, the undead or the nimble elves or the bruiser tundra orcs that have their freezing abilities. Like, I love how it expresses this, uh, these themes with gameplay mechanics. But what I don't love, Dave, and one of the reasons it drives me crazy, is how poorly that information is presented even on the iPad. You know, it was insufferable playing this thing on the iPhone because I don't mm-hmm. think you got any, you couldn't even see like a unit's hit points on the cards. No. Even on the iPad where you can see the hit points, you can see the power, you might even be able to see the summoning cost, I'm not sure. But but that's only the start of the story because, like you mentioned before, every single unit, every single card has some special ability or rules tweak. Um, and I just feel like that's so... They don't even really make an effort to present that. They print it on the card, and you have to read it and remember it. Uh, and I just feel like as much as I admire how they're doing the gameplay, it's just not expressed very well. And, and just to give you an example where I think another game does that better, uh, Small World, which is a port of a board game I've been playing, has the same kind of thing, where all the little pieces have some special ability. And what Days of Wonder has done, and they're very good at this, is they have put some kind of little iconography to represent what the rules tweak is. So I don't have to click on the guy and read the description. I can read the description once, and then that little iconography reminds me, oh yeah, this is the one that gets this many points if it's in a forest. Or oh yeah, this is the one that if it kills these dudes gets an extra reinforcement. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, Summoner Wars makes no effort to do that. It just wants you to read and remember the text for each side, uh, which, again, maybe that I shouldn't blame the game for being ambitious and detailed and flexible. But I just feel like well, don't do a very good job of necessarily conveying that information in a convenient, easily accessible way. No, it's really horrible. Uh, there's no reason why the cards couldn't have one word on it. Like, there's an, there's an elf card which allows the unit not to have to roll the dice called precise. precise. Yeah, or sluggish. Yeah, exactly. Or, or sluggish, right. Um, so why isn't the word, the big word precise written on the card somewhere so you can read it? Or just an and, icon. Or an icon, exactly. Instead, I've been, if I don't want to double tap every card that I want to think about, mm-hmm. I've I finally played enough that I can recognize what the card does by the shape of its paragraph, which has <laughs> got to be the most clunky, idiotic way of reading information that you can think of. The shape of its paragraph. I'm not kidding. I could I could probably draw a picture of what the precise card looks like based on the shape of its paragraph on it. <laughs> uh, David, anyway. let me give you my, my last reason, and then I'll, I'll okay. turn it over to you. Uh, my last big problem with it... Uh, and again, I, I think what I'm sort of expressing here is that I, I really want to like Summoner Wars. I want to play it more, and I will, by the way. I, I definitely will give it some more time. Uh, but here's something I just discovered, which also drives me crazy. Uh, as a single-player game, the AI can only play the four basic races. You know, I bought the whole kit that has cool little like undead dudes, and I, I forget what else is in there, but uh, the AI can only play... The Red Elves, the Blue Orcs, the Green Goblins, and I forget the basic vanilla humans or whatever. So all these other cool decks that I've bought, which are 
in-app purchases, basically DLC for the game, is only for multiplayer. Yeah. Uh, and well, I just, I, that's, that's, that's just so annoying. It sounds like all your issues with the game, not maybe not all of them, but most of them have to do with how easy it is to play it and how fun it is to play it alone. So if you played multiplayer and found some players that were at, at your skill level, I think you'd probably stand a chance to really fall in love with it. Well, that, that I don't dispute, but name me a game where that's not the case. I, I mean, multiplayer makes everything better. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is true. All three of the games we've talked about, Ascension, Naroshima Hex, and <laughs> Summoner Wars, are just not that much fun to play alone. And you're using the F word, by the way. Fine. I'm, I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot about that. <laughs> but no, you're, you're right. Um, uh, and, and the thing is, I don't necessarily disagree. They're not that much fun to play alone. Like that, that's how you learn these things, and that's how I'm convinced that you know I suck at Nirushima Hex. That's certainly how I. A lot of these criticisms, by the way, also apply to Ascension. That's how I learned all the cards in Ascension, where you similarly have to read the text. Um, and I just, you know, I, I would, I would be more than willing to play. And I will play more single-player Summoner Wars to get used to it and then to try some, some multiplayer. But I'm just really bummed that the AI will only play those four sides, that I can't watch how it plays different cards uh, to sort of get a sense for how the different races play. Um, yeah. So I, I haven't checked it out yet. I'll probably pick it up after listening to this forever. McMaster, I'll bet you uh, would love it. Sorry, Jason. McMaster, <laughs> <laughs> I... McMaster, Dave, something? wouldn't you say that Dave, that uh, that uh, Jason McMaster would like Summoner Wars? Would you recommend that to him? What? Oh yeah, I actually, I came into this thinking I would just explain why I like it now, having come from a position where I was very similar to where you were at, Tom, mm-hmm. and and I, I thought all I would be able to do is basically just say what the people on the forum said, and you know we'd have a good talk. But I actually feel some hope now based on your criticisms and. What, I, what little I know about the two of you, that you guys might actually find it's good. But I really, really recommend, since this game is way more skill than luck-based than Ascension or Nerishima Hex are, that you play people that are at your level. And that's why I make these leagues, really, is so people can find people who are, you know, on their level. So, so then reassure me about this, Dave Perkins. I am wrong when I say that Summoner Wars is a game about two dudes with a deck each of, what is it, 30, 20 cards? How big are the decks? Something like 25-ish. Okay. Maybe 30, somewhere the, there. Summoner Wars did, does not always play where you're chucking out all your cards till someone exhausts the other guy's deck, and they basically, it's it's a war of attrition where they, they drain each other's decks and then somebody's the last guy standing. That's not always how it works, Correct. No, I can't even think of a game where I would have called it a war of attrition. The game rewards aggression because anything you kill would put into your pile to recruit more. So I just have only played in maybe one game I'd call defensive. The rest of them have all been very exciting and very much tooth to nail. And the two sides are just doing everything they can in a last-ditch effort to win the whole game. Love it. All right. So, McMaster, you and I, let's get a game of Summoner Wars going. You are going to have to play the halflings. They're a peaceful, nonviolent race, and they subsist on uh, on farming. They they grow sorghum and wheat, uh, and they also uh, are good at trading uh, in that they they get a good interest rate when they borrow money, for instance, and they can sell their stuff at an advantage. They're non-combatants, so when I come attack you, just respond suitably and and let me. Um, how are they with a uh, pipeweed? 
They, they, they do they do enjoy the pipeweed with Matthew. Okay, well, that's fine. It's fine. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, yeah, I'll be bringing some mighty orcs to come over and kill you. And uh, awesome. here's what I recommend, Master. Uh, try negotiation. Okay, yeah, that sounds like it'll probably work with orcs. Yeah. Uh, good. And if you guys if you guys like it, you should join the league. I mean, I, I think a lot of people don't join it because they're somehow intimidated by it, as if they have to excel or they'll be ridiculed or something like that. The but it's are a little intimidating, Dave. I mean, when sure you they are. The league, yeah. you're uh, oh. there's there's serious bragging rights. There's going to be competition. Your name is going to be most likely at the bottom of a of a ranking. Uh, I mean, I I Ooh. love what you're doing with the different leagues, but I can I can understand them being intimidating. Yeah, it's like the Blood Bowl League. Well, that and Blood Bowl just always makes me want to punch everything in sight whenever I'm playing it. <laughs> okay, McMaster, first of all, thanks for ruining my game of the week. And second wow. of all, I agree. <laughs> yeah, holy God, that game makes me mad. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get to that in, in a little bit. So. <laughs> good, good. Interesting. I've, I've been wanting to learn about that, so I'm glad. I have as well, and uh, that's what I did this week. So, so McMaster, why don't you talk us through? So now that we have had our great Summoner Wars debate, and I, I think we can <laughs> declare it a, uh, we'll call it a technical victory for Dave Perkins. How's that? A TKO, oh. yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Wait, did you say TKO? Isn't that total knockout? It's technical knockout. Oh, it is? That's what TKO, I always thought, like, that's when you hit the guy really hard and he's totally knocked out. No, no, no. TKO is in boxing if you get knocked down three times in one round. Even if you can get up the third time is a TKO. What do you call it when the guy falls down and won't get up on the count of ten? KO. Oh. Yeah, well, that's a knockout, right? A technical clean KO. Is, uh, right, yeah. TKO is the one that's like a rules-based one instead of him not actually getting back up. Okay, well, I feel like I took a few serious body blows from Dave, but I didn't fall to the canvas like i can still stumble over to my corner so technical victory in the great summoner wars debates for for you dave perkins Is that? thank you tom i accept on behalf of all the people in the league who are very friendly and would never mock you for being at the bottom <laughs> uh we're gonna give you this big ridiculous looking belt to wear here you go wear it proudly Ooh. <laughs> it fits. fancy so mr it's, uh it's on the inside uh, Mr. Van McMaster, why don't you talk us through the format for the rest of the podcast? we got Games of the Week and News of the Week to go through. Uh, yeah. Play us through that. Only after an hour. Uh, we, uh, <laughs> all right, so we're going to do News of the Week first because we just uh, – you two are all getting all fancy before the podcast about your news, so let's just get that over with. Okay. okay. So do we want to do Tom's argument or – let's do Dave's news, news first. My, my news is good news. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Thank you, Jason. And sorry to make you suffer through the Summoner Wars debate. I mean, oh, this, no, the, Lincoln, the Lincoln-Douglas debates were even worse, I swear. Oh, yeah, I mean, And you'd, you'd have been standing in the hot sun as well. <laughs> we easily shaved three and a half hours off of that, Master. <laughs> anyway, so my news of the week is related to the iPad gift, um, Tom. Um Evidently, the collection of money achieved a certain momentum, which went beyond anything that I had planned. And even though, huh? It went viral. It it did. It went viral, and uh, people continue to give me money, and they don't care what I do with it as long as it goes to you somehow in a fun way. So what I need you to do is think. um, I mean, I could give you a couple of 
you know, iTunes gift cards, which seems like a cop-out, unless we maybe pair it up with maybe a forum post where we allow people to demand what you'll buy with them or something <laughs> like that, you know, because they want to see you review this game or that game. I, I, like Mike Cathcart, for example, uh, is is a recent donor. He was actually, I should just single him out as somebody who, along with Christian, um, said that if I fell short of our goal, they would split the difference with me which was a very, very generous because we had no idea at that time what that difference would be, and it turned out to be zero. So um, each of them just contributed a certain amount, and Mike uh, said he can't wait to have you play Through the Ages with Bruce on your iPad. So I don't know if that's a game that's on your radar. Okay, so first first of all, uh, I, I'm just a little flabbergasted at this because I inadvertently, uh, I didn't mean to do this, but when I was looking up what... I don't know the first thing about iPad, so I was looking up whether or not mine had this thing called a a, a, a Retina display, which I thought was something it like does. read. But I thought that was something like read your eyeball. Like I had no idea what that was. <laughs> oh, Tom! So when I was looking it up, I inadvertently stumbled across how much this silly thing cost, and I was flabbergasted enough at that. But to hear that, I anyway. So I'm I'm a little bit uh, sure. bowled over by the generosity here. I cannot imagine people just chucking money like that so huge thanks first of all uh and yeah i I don't know what to say but uh, second of all through the ages isn't that a uh a really complicated like sort of a civilization board gamey thing like i've heard of the board game and i think i might have known it was coming to the ipad but is this something that's out i i don't know mike mike would be the one to ask uh he's the one who gave me the idea to maybe have a have a stipulation that if we give you any more money, then you're going to have to spend part of it the way we decide. <laughs> well, so first of all, yes, I I will I am happy to play anything that, that folks want to want to give me, and I I am just so grateful for that generosity. I do know about through the ages. Uh, I've heard I've had a, a good friend of mine try to sell me on the board game, uh, and if if I'm not mistaken, it's it's a board game that ran into some licensing issues because they had like Elvis as one of the the personalities you can i guess research or get to help you uh so yeah i know about the game and i would love to play it either in person or on the iphone uh so yes absolutely uh yeah i would put me down for a little through the ages sure okay well maybe off off the podcast we can decide what we're going to do but i just thought i'd tell you that news uh unspecified amount right now because there's still a couple of people who are planning to send me something and i don't know what it is um, but you could also, you know, toss around uh, in your mind an idea of something gaming related, probably, probably not like chip in for your tooth kind of thing, uh, <laughs> or get your cat some belly hair or whatever you need. Uh, that's like regular life, but make it more, you know, you, you get the idea. So I'll just cut it short because, you know, the Stephen Douglas Lincoln debates went on so long already. Uh, well, for everyone who's chipped in on this, and I know that's you guys both of you as well. I just thank you so much. This has just been such a pleasant surprise. And yeah, so put me down for Through the Ages. If anybody wants to grief me and make me play a crappy game, good Lord, I've had my share of that, and I'm always up for more of it. So if there's something that's horrible that you want me to sit through, have at me. Do your worst. Uh, I, I also want to just make sure that you know that my wife Michelle's idea, this was all her idea, really. Uh, yeah, I sent you the story, but I just wanted to say it. For sure, while you were definitely listening, that it was her idea, not mine, even. So, 
your, your wife, Michelle, is very awesome. And, and I think it's very cool that she listens to the podcast sometimes. And if I'm not mistaken, she's not like a gaming dork, is she? No, not not really. Uh, she By plays proxy, board I games think. from time to time. Um, right. She... she she has opinions about the games that I play on the iPad. For example, she thinks that the little bumping that the Nourishima Hex, Hex units do when they attack is absolutely silly and is a reason to never play it. <laughs> Whereas she thinks the sounds in Dungeon Raid, which is another yeah. iPhone game, are awesome, and that makes that game one of her favorites. She's I... a big Drop 7 fan. I'm going to go on record right now as saying that I think uh, your wife Michelle should be on Metacritic. <laughs> Good point. Totally agree. Uh, all right, so that that's great news. We'll uh, I'll, I'll keep folks posted in terms of wh- what things I have been steered to to play. Okay. Uh, and I yeah I would I would I love these board game ports. Uh, and through the ages is is a so La Havre, which I picked as my game of the week one two weeks ago, is one of those board games I've always wanted to play. But because it was out on the iPhone and iPad, I finally got to play. So. That's one of the huge advantages of having, you know, the, the extra real estate of an iPad is it brings these board games to life so well. And by the way, so here we go. Uh, next GDC, GDC 2013. If you're there, I will be moderating a panel on the sort of creative cross pollination that goes between video games and board games. So come on out to GDC and uh, hear me moderate that panel next year. Nice. There you go. All right. So uh, what other news of the week do we have, Pastor? Who's next? Well, uh, I don't know. All right, you know, I'll do mine since I know mine will be pretty quick. But uh, Zynga's uh, stock dropped forty percent in after-hour tradings. Uh, yeah, when they uh, reported their earnings uh, this uh, this afternoon, Wednesday afternoon. Now, McMaster, how do we know that Bain didn't have anything to do with that? That's true. He could have actually stolen. Oh my God, that movie. Uh, anyway. Um, yeah, uh, they yeah, they they thought they were going to pull in 344 million. The company instead made 332.5 million, which really isn't. I don't see it a big deal. But uh, yeah, the stock plummeted quite a bit in after-hour trading. So it's it's kind of interesting to see what'll happen there. Uh, and so, McMaster, how much wealth did you lose in that transaction? Zero point zero. Me too. High five, McMaster. High five. Me too. All right. Three of us. Unaffected by the Zenga stock tanking. Uh, yes. Um, have they have have they tanked before, or is this the first big tank? I think this is the first big one. Hmm. So there's they still were... a better prospect than Facebook, for instance. Yeah. Well, I mean, they actually have products. So, I mean, there is that. <laughs> All right. And uh, it doesn't look like Farmville's going away anytime soon. Is it? Is that too much to hope for? Uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, they're making one, like, called Castleville soon, so that'll probably be more up your alley. You know, when you say that, McMaster, my reaction isn't, oh, God, they're making Castleville. My reaction is, I can't believe there's not already a Castleville. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. All right. Uh, all right, so whose turn is it now, McMaster? Uh, That'd have to be you. Okay, so here we go. I, uh... 
there's a, there's a little game on Xbox Live Arcade called Fez, uh, which, regardless of anything surrounding the uh, release and the developers of Fez, I, I really am enamored of Fez. I think it's a great little uh, 2D platformer with a cool dimension shifting or perspective shifting puzzle gimmick. Uh, it it just does some some things just very well. I love the retro look of it, um, but the developers at Polytron consistently make it hard for me to like Fez. And most recently, uh, I've just kind of decided, you know what, I, I want no part of this adorable little game anymore because I'm, I'm a little disgusted with, with how they are handling their post-release support. And specifically what happened was, uh, shortly after Fez came out, uh, they released a patch uh, that corrupted some saved games. You know, that'll happen. So they immediately pulled the patch. Like, the day it came out, I think this is June 22nd, maybe like a month or so after the game had come out. Uh, the day the patch came out, they pulled it, because they didn't want to mess up people's saved games. So apparently, what happens in that situation is uh, Microsoft, which controls Xbox Live Arcade, gives them the option to either pay a fee to certify a new patch... And certifying isn't the same as doing QA. That's not looking for bugs and stuff. That's just verifying that it works with the Xbox Live architecture, that it doesn't break anything too egregiously. Uh, it's sort of a formality. So after your first patch, you have to pay for certification for any additional patches. Uh, they gave the developers at Polytron the option to pay to certify a new patch. Uh, after about a month, Polytron announced that they are not going to pay that certification fee and that there will not be another patch and that they instead are just going to republish the previous patch that included, uh, that, that broke some saved games. Furthermore, they then posted this kind of uh, Jeremiah on their site about how Microsoft wanted them to pay thousands of dollars for the process um, and how they can't afford to do that, and how it's just too... I think they even said this is too many hoops to expect us to jump through. Uh, so they announced, here's the same old patch. We haven't fixed the break. You know, we haven't fixed the broken save games. Uh, so here you go. This is all we're doing. Uh, and they furthermore changed a statement on their website to say they're no longer looking for bug reports. So the bottom line is that Fez gets no more patches and that anybody whose saved game gets corrupted is just kind of out of luck, and that there's a financial reason behind that. Now, Penny Arcade reported that the cost for the certification process was $40,000, which does mm. seem prohibitive. Yeah. However, when you consider that after Fez was out for two weeks, uh, you know, at $10 a copy, they proudly announced that they had sold 100,000 copies. You know, Fez was very successful. And by my math, let's see, 100,000 copies at $10 means they either made, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing with the zeros, they either made $1,000 or a $1 million. One of those two things was the case, depending mm -hmm. on how you do your math. I think it's the million dollars. Uh, it grossed at least a cool million, probably more, considering that was just its first two weeks. Polytron consists of, and I'm sure they had more help, but the company itself is just two guys in Montreal. So... Here they've published this hugely successful game. They've been told if you want to patch out this last er, this last bug that will kill games for some people, it's going to cost you $40,000. They've declined to pay that, and they've furthermore painted themselves as victims of the certification process, all of which rings incredibly false to me. Um, you know, They've said that less than 1% of the players have this bug. And again, when you do a little math... 
considering the number of copies sold, that's as many as a thousand people. You know, it, to tell me that, that fewer than a thousand people have lost their saved games and they don't want to pay the forty thousand dollars to fix this, uh, I, I just don't have much sympathy for that. Um, and compounding the issue too is that one of the guys at Polytron is a fairly incendiary fellow named Phil Fish. <laughs> uh, uh, Mr. Fish, yes. Now, now, Phil Fish, I haven't seen the indie game movie where he's interviewed and apparently comes across as somewhat unsympathetic, but I know he got into a little hot water for making a statement about how Japanese games are stupid or, or crappy or something like that. And mm-hmm. I was I was actually, I felt a little sympathy for the guy because, uh, you know, people say things off the cuff all the time, and that sounds like something I might say. You know, now I'm granted. I'm not selling a game, and I'm not. I don't have to do the same kind of uh, customer community relations stuff that Phil Fish does. But I had a little sympathy for him when that issue blew up. Uh, in this issue, I have no sympathy for these guys to basically say, "Hey, we don't want to pay this certification fee, so we're leaving players holding the bag for a game that, that's broken for some of them." I just have no sympathy for them. Uh, I think it's a crappy thing to do. I think the way that they've announced it, and by the way, pulled the announcement. You know, this Jeremiah that they posted is no longer online. Uh, I just think they've behaved just clumsily at best. Um, uh, and it just it just makes me not like Fez, which is a good game, and I hate feeling that way. So uh, what is this? Does either of you sympathize at all with Polytron in this situation? Uh, a bit being an independent developer. I mean, that's that's it. Forty grand's a lot. Yep. I mean, I know it's uh, out of a million bucks. I guess it's not that much, but it does seem really prohibitive, just in general. Because if you think about the way games are released, they get constant patches. Right. But Microsoft's a huge pain in the ass with their patches. Now, I mean, I guess there's something to be said. They want to make sure everything works right and everything, but. Uh, at the same time, it, uh, you, I think you would be better served uh, making developers able to patch things or do whatever they do with the PC versions of their games just because it keeps them up to date and it doesn't ruin uh, a gamer's experience like a bug does. It, it is kind of a penalty tax, so I definitely agree with you there, McMaster, is that it's a, it's a, it's a, a disincentive for developers to not be more careful with the patches, uh, which I kind of approve of. But And you're right, it is a lot of money. But, I mean, come on, when it sold that many copies, when it did that well, it just feels so uh, just chintzy to, to, then, to then say, you know, this is too expensive for us. Well, no, I won't, uh, I won't disagree with you there. Uh, I really, it's... It's kind of an, uh, just an uh, all-around irritating subject because Phil Fish is not the most likable person, and Microsoft is certainly not the most likable company sometimes. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's really hard to uh, feel for either. But, uh, I mean, I understand Microsoft's policy, but at the same time, if they're willing to take money from this guy, take money from his games, from the exclusivity, they should at least be willing to kind of work with him on supporting it. It does. Yeah. I wonder because it's such a high-profile issue, because so much has been made out of it. Why someone isn't backing down? Like why Microsoft doesn't say, you know what, fix fix it. We'll waive the fee in this instance. Uh, like I kind of wonder, is this where the issue is going to stop? Where those thousand people or however many who have a corrupted saved game in Fez, uh, is anyone going to back down 
uh, to, I would, to address the situation. I, I, don't know. I would certainly hope that Microsoft would see that as a marketing opportunity because they see a lot of things as marketing <laughs> opportunities, and and that one's actually pretty good. So, Basically, uh, to say, hey, we're not as big an asshole as Phil Fish, <laughs> right? Which I mean, you know, hey, there's, Tom, there's something to be said. Tom, you've seen Breaking Bad. You know what it, what happens when you're a drug dealer and you you appear weak to the others. Oh, good point, right. <laughs> It'll just be Giancarlo Esposito will swoop in and take over Phil Fish's operation. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I will say, too, that um, one of the things uh, in this situation that's notable is the candor with which Polytron, and I presume it's mainly Phil Fish, has spoken about the issue. You know, when they posted, hey, uh, there's this bug, it affects this many people, this is the financial decision that we are making. I want to appreciate that candor. You know, the fact that he's not saying, oh, we think it's not a widespread bug. You know, as a guy who for literally over a year could not play Fallout New Vegas because I was one of those 1% who had some weird little bug that slipped through the process, uh, I, I know what it's like to basically have to be written off. Like, I understand the math there. Whatever problem I was having with Bethesda's game didn't affect enough people to make it worth their while to really chase down. So I was left out in the cold. So in a way, I appreciate, and Bethesda doesn't acknowledge it, because they can't. They're a big company. They just have to gloss over the situation. So in a way, I appreciate Polytron's candor in talking about the issue. But more importantly, I think candor only works if you're doing the right thing in the first place. Otherwise, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. So mm. I, I, I think... More than anything else, this was just an instance of Polytron being really, really clumsy uh, and misreading how to, to deal with a difficult situation. Mm. So, All right, so uh, that, I think, is everyone's news of the week, McMaster. Where do we go from there? I guess we go to games. Mm. Yeah, um, all right, so... <sighs> all right, Dave, what's your game of the week? Well, actually, this will be quick, too, because it was going to be Nurishima Hex, because just this morning they released two new teams. <laughs> Which I happily downloaded. I was like, yes, two new teams, and I booted up the game to see what they were, and oh, in-app purchases. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's too much to expect. Hey, free free new content. Yeah. Yeah. They, these teams are pretty complicated. I must have taken them a bit of programming. I'm okay with the two bucks. I understand what you're saying, though. I kind of thought maybe they were free, too. <laughs> well, <the laughs> I had my fingers update, crossed. That when you go to the update, I love seeing that little red number by updates on my iPhone or iPad. When you go over there and you see, oh, update for Nurishima Hex, and you tap on it to read the notes, and it just says, two new races. Right. Like it, it, doesn't let, you know, it doesn't let me know that I have to buy them. So I was like, wow, they're giving me two new races, and no such thing happened. Uh, Dave, can you tell yeah. us about who the races are? Yeah, one is called Smart. Uh, it's very mobile, and the other is called Vegas, and they have units that will, or modules that will turn the other person's units into theirs. So basically, it's like a little bribe. You bribe the enemy's tiles to work for you until they're shot. Mm -hmm. Have That's you basically it? And did you spring for both of these? I did, and I've already played a game with each one. I like them a lot. Who do you um, like better? I, I like mobility. I love having more options, and in Nuroshima Hex, when you put a uh, tile down, you generally can't move it. So I I like Smart. I think they might become my new favorite. Mm -hmm. uh, um, it's also my favorite game of the three uh, that we've talked about. It's still my favorite, even though Summoner Wars is the latest 
hot thing. Wait, 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 hold on. You're not telling me, are you, that you like Nurishima Hex better, better than Ascension? Oh, yeah. It's <sighs> way more interesting. Oh, Dave Perkins. <laughs> I'm so disappointed in you. And and you well, and that you would roll out the the one thing worse than saying it's more fun is saying it's more interesting. Oh, How did I say you? that? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I meant to say it's more immersive, sorry. Okay. okay. Immersive or visceral I will accept. Right. Thank you. Uh, so, that's the so, game. Yep, and there's a league going on for Nur- for Nurishima Hex, right? There is. We're How about are, to hit the playoffs. How does your I think I'm saying this right? How does your bracket look? Um, there are only about 12 people that are active, as opposed to Summoner Wars has maybe 25, and Ascension has maybe 40. So the um, league playoffs are just the top four playing single elimination. Okay. It's not as exciting as Ascension's playoffs, which I think are really wonderful, but I don't think we could pull it off in either of these other two games right now. By the way, what do those numbers tell you about which game is best? Yeah, I know. I think Ascension's a little more like candy. Uh, I think people probably tend to click on it first if they have decisions to make. At least I do. I'm just like, oh, well, that doesn't take any of my brain. I'll just do that first, and then you can't, I'll save Summoner Wars for later. Right. You can't knead a loaf of bread while you're playing Ascension, can you? <laughs> no. Nope. The iPad cover would be covered in flour. <laughs> uh, all right. So Nurishima Hex for a choice for Game of the Week. McMaster, who's next? You know, I'll go next. Right. My game of the week is one that uh, I've actually chosen before, but it's because I've played so much of it. Um, lately, I'm going to go with Age of Empires 3 again. How's <laughs> your bracket looking in that? What's your level? 33? 32, oh. I believe. Yeah, you have 30 a level, level 32 British city. There actually is, Dave Perkins, so you level yeah. up your cities... Uh, yeah, so you that's right, you thought you were uh, griefing us, and you weren't. No, I, I was fitting in, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, Dave Perkins, what's your what city, uh, what level is your city in Age of Empires 3? Um, well, I have a Nord city, at, <laughs> and the level is written in some kind of like Slavic runish sort of language, so I'm not sure what it is, but it looks kind of like an umlaut over a uh, Aleph. McMaster, so. get a load of this guy with his Nord city. Oh. <laughs> uh, all right, so McMaster, why would this, a really old game, be your game of the week? Because I'm still obsessing over how to beat you at it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And how has that been going? Not well. Um, you always pull some sort of bullshit, and I know it's bullshit. I can I can tell. Uh, I think. Can you give an example? Yeah, I was going to ask for an example. Uh, Let's see. I will have the same amount of troops as Tom, varied, (laughs) and he'll just wipe the floor with me again. So, oh, oops! I found the exact troop that counters everything you have. Oh, my bad. I, I I mean I feel awful at because I know how frustrating it can be to consistently lose. But there are times, yeah, where we'll have a, a battle and we both got like the same number of dudes, and I, I understand that frustration, McMaster. And I, I it's just you know I built the precise thing that counters your units, so it just looks like hey, it's I press some magic button to kill all of your guys when you don't kill a single one of mine. Uh, I, I can I, I know that must be frustrating. I sympathize yes, with you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> 
Uh, My favorite, not, by the way, is when McMaster goes for the artillery, because artillery is huge in Age of Empires 3, and mm-hmm. I can sort of see that coming, so I've been playing the Aztecs, and they don't get any artillery, they don't get any cool cavalry, because, you know, they don't have horses, but they do get something called Arrow Knights, and their Arrow Knights, which is a fairly advanced unit, are specifically good against three things, artillery, buildings, and ships. So McMaster has spent all this money on artillery. He has parked off of his shore this badass ship called a Monitor, which kills everything. And then he's mm-hmm. got his base. So I show up with like, you know, maybe 20, it doesn't look like that many, 20 Arrow Knights. And they chew through all of that in no time flat. And it's got to look like someone playing a shooter against somebody with a wall hack or something. Like, it's got to be a, a, a – and you can, I could – you know, McMaster's even typing things in chat like, come on! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Those stupid damn not, or, uh, Bowman. Oh, my God. But, but, uh, so, and again, like, it, it's, it's strictly a matter of, like, counters. Like, counters, they don't break the game, but they do, you know, they, they trump any kind of rules. They trump economy. So, yeah, I, I know how frustrating that can be. Uh, yeah, yeah. As the Dutch, I'll always, like, have a ton of money and everything, and I'll manage to get all this stuff going, and then it's just, uh, I don't know what happens. So yeah. how long do you have to play before you get to that special moment when Tom's units mop yours up like a sponge? I mean, hours and hours of No, setup? usually 30 to 45 minutes. Uh-huh. Like that. Uh, it depends. Like, you can rush fairly early. Age of Empires 3 is a pretty... Uh, like a StarCraft match is over in 15 minutes. An Age of Empires 3 game can go anywhere from 10 minutes to 45 minutes. Like you, uh, if somebody rushes early, it can be shut down pretty quickly. If you both hang back and build up artillery or ships or whatever, it, it can go forever. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, sure. and it's a very like like any RTS. It's so like the economy is so important. So I feel like a broken yeah. record, Jason. Like I just and I, I hope I don't come across like a dick, but constantly like after the game. There's a little line that shows how many of the peons we've each made. They're called villagers, and that's mm-hmm. ba- the basic determinant for your economy. Um, sure. So the dirty little secret of any RTS is that's what you got to do before anything else. you got to keep building villagers. You need a bazillion villagers. Because after most of our games, McMaster, like I, my, my line just takes off. Uh, and I just feel like until we have a similar line there... Uh, I'm going to always have a huge advantage. Uh, well, there's two yeah. reasons for that. When I play the British, I actually have been building a lot of peasants lately, and you just keep doing end-arounds and killing them. So that's why your damn line takes off, because <laughs> that, you manage to kill my damn peasants all the time. So and I love what that, that does to the line, by the way, where you watch the line oh, going up, and then, oh, it dips down. It's like the stock price of Zynga. It's so entertaining. <laughs> um, and, uh, and as the Dutch, if I build banks, they gather gold faster than villagers gather gold. So I don't really particularly need extra villagers for gold, so i actually been spending a lot more ah, on right. just making extra food and wood. Uh, but, of course, your villagers also cost gold in that game, which kind of sucks. Uh, but, um, or is that nation. Um, but, uh, yeah, of course, there was the game that I almost won that you freaking revolted and killed me with. I swear to God. Now, you, when you say revolted, it makes it sound like my guys were repulsive. I like to think of it as we conducted a revolution. No, you revolted. <laughs> you revolted. Yeah, I know the difference. Um, one there, of my, go ahead, Dave. Has, 
has Jason, have you ever beaten Tom at this game? Yeah, of course. Yeah, oh, okay. Months, yeah. 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 So it, it, the thing is, I just, I've played so much of this, and I do have that weird, like, RTS. Like, some people are good at sports. I just happen to be, like, good at RTSs. Um, one of my favorite BS moves is discovering, oh, some of my advanced infantry dudes have stealth. So yeah. I make them invisible. They walk over to where uh, McMaster's little farmers are merrily hoeing away, and they uncloak and then just massacre a bunch of farmers. Uh, mm. That that was a fun one. Um, all right, make so it sound like you just discovered this on the fly. Well, the thing is, there's like how many sides are there, McMaster? There's got to be like at this point, fifteen different factions. Yeah, I mean, some of them are kind of similar and some of them don't really have that much going for them but yeah there's quite a bit i mean and over all of them there is a lot of uh, a lot of different options and so what i've been doing uh is just trying new factions a lot and the aztecs do have you know one of their advanced infantry can just cloak so you make a bunch of them you cloak them and uh i don't think anybody else quite has that like invisible army capacity as far as i know uh so no, uh well, okay. So, Magister, I'm glad you're not fed up with this. Uh, we'll uh, I haven't shot myself yet. It's not yet. <laughs> and you, you've got the thing is, even when you lose, you get experience points for your city. So you've got a, a super high level British and Dutch city. Yeah, yeah, the the old two and sixty British there. <laughs> not exactly. Uh, the sun quite often sets on my British Empire. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that like the, one of the funniest things about the game, other than the fact that we get that one damn Borneo map like every other game we play on random for some reason. I hate that freaking map. Uh, but the funniest thing is seeing just the battles that take place. Like, weren't you the Mongolians and I was the, uh, the Dutch and we were fighting in uh, the Ozarks? Yeah, so it was the I think the Ottomans, yeah, the Ottomans, <laughs> yeah, the, Ottomans. the Dutch fighting for control of the Ozarks. Yeah, not <laughs> not that historically realistic, as far as I recall. I don't know. That's a, that's a pretty famous battle, <laughs> <laughs> the Battle of Harder Harder. Uh, uh, yeah, no, uh, it's a uh, it, it's a great game. It's just uh, man, Tom has some sort of weird sixth sense. He can he also knows all the hotkeys. So you know, McMaster, I, I don't, I don't know if you're being facetious, but that is huge. Hot key oh, it management, is. yeah. To be able to like select all of my army and then quickly pull out my arrow knights, for instance, that kind of little tactical control. That you know, that's what the kids call micro in StarCraft. Uh, you know, it, hot keys are such a huge part of the micro game. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't deny that that's a huge thing. Yeah. And one of these days, maybe I'll, I'll even tell you what those hot keys are. Yeah, I, I probably wouldn't figure out how to get to find myself. So you're, that's a good idea. I used to love that kind of game, but now I just can't stand playing a game that has a phrase describing it, like make a bunch of them. You said that, Tom, a few minutes ago. You just make a bunch of them. I just don't want to ever in the rest of my life make a bunch of them. Okay, you know what? So here you Done. go, Dave Perkins. One of the things you can do in Age of Empires 3, one button press, you make five dudes. You know, so to make a bunch of dudes, you don't like click, 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 and then wait for them all to come out. You click once, and then a bunch of dudes pop out. So it's like yeah, automated taking a bunch of them. Yeah. yeah. Have I sold it? It almost sounds like it's taking whatever soul make a bunch of them had and sucking that right out. So now it's simply like a, a hollow shell of making a bunch of them. Dave Birkins, don't you want to see a bunch of dudes fighting a bunch of other dudes in the Ozarks like does, doesn't that doesn't the bunch of dudes fight you got to make a bunch of dudes before you can watch a bunch of dudes fight 
it just kind of reminds me of playing Total Annihilation with my friends in grad school, and we would play for an hour and a half just setting everything up, and then somebody would show up with 800 of the same unit, and you'd just see everything you'd done crumble. And it was about that time when I realized this is a this is sucking my soul right out of its That's shell. It. So, that does not happen in H3. I will say no? that. No. Uh, if you make a whole bunch of one unit, you are going to cry. Nice. That's good. Yeah. Well, yeah. and theoretically, you should have cried. I guess I don't remember. Total Annihilation had unit counters, didn't it? Or was it just, like, couldn't you have thought what, couldn't you have looked at what 800 dudes the other guy built and just build, you know, 200 counters, and then you've won? You'd think that you could have, but for some reason, none of us could solve that one guy's strategy of making 800 brawlers. I think they were they were kind of a... Uh, an airship and oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do. Right. and right. we just asked him to like not do it but he, like, <laughs> couldn't, he couldn't help himself he, he was a make a bunch of them or from the old days. like I, yeah that's that's one of the problems with i think starcraft too is there's like a couple of uh there's a couple of units in that game that are just absolutely ridiculous compared to the other yeah. ones but you just build the counters i don't know you you people are amateurs Okay, True. no, the like the Protoss, uh, the beam shooter ships. If yeah. you rush to those, you can just float like the outside of the map, and if you rush to them, it's hard to counter that. Oh, McMaster, it is not. Ugh. Oh, we're gonna play some StarCraft two here very soon. I can feel it. I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to Protoss the hell out of here, McMaster. And then I'll just build. If I know you're gonna do that, I'm just gonna build those cheap little anti-air units. You know, if you build, if you spend a thousand dollars to make a unit, if I know you're gonna do that, I only have to spend two hundred dollars building the counter. You know, that's oh. just that's just RTS math. Of course, but you don't know I'm going to do that. Ah, but see, that's where scouting comes in. See, that's where, like, spies no. and Age of Empires, that's where you love, you love as much as I do, McMaster, that little hot air balloon you can bring up into Age of Empires 3. You love being able to park that over somebody's base and seeing what he's going to build, so you can spend $200 to his $1,000. That's what that's all about. Well, sure. Can you shoot that down? No, no, no please. No, stay no, fair. No. That's against the Geneva Convention. You cannot yeah. shoot down a hot air balloon. Everybody knows that. If you're on a whimsical hot air adventure and someone fires or discharges a firearm at you, that's just a dick move, according to the Geneva Convention. Yeah, everybody right. calls timeout. They do that thing where you you know you do the little tea with your hands, and the judges of history they they pop in and they yeah they they call that null and void. Yeah, do not shoot down hot air balloons. Yeah, they're they're kind of like uh, the judges from Final Fantasy Tactics. Mm. They give you, give you different flags and cards. No, McMaster, we're doing we're we're doing fine with RTS serious wonkery stuff, and you bring in JRPGs. Nice work. You hey, just, hey you just this for JRPG. It's an SRPG. Close enough. <laughs> just one letter off. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we still have one more game of the week to go. Whose turn is it, McMaster? It's yours. You're going to pick Summoner Wars. No, no. I've already mm. I've already locked myself in as saying that is not two no. people on this podcast have decided it's not and, their game of the week. I, th- I think we're gonna have some sort of inception move. I don't know. <laughs> no, I have not been incepted yet. <laughs> to like Summoner Wars, I will. I will be playing it some over the week with you, McMaster, and we'll talk a little bit yeah. about it next week how well that goes. But my game of the week is another game that I had heard about for a long time. I'd never played. I know it's big with league play on quarter to three. Uh, I didn't play the actual game Blood Bowl, but what I did play, thanks to uh, a friend of mine who actually lives in Finland. This guy's a he's been really supportive of the site, and he does for me. His name is Yarmo, and Yarmo will pretty much daily send me corrections to typos I have made on quarter to three. And I cannot, and I say this in all seriousness, I cannot overestimate how much I appreciate when people do that. 
If I have written a typo and somebody doesn't tell me about it, that's like not telling someone when they have food in their teeth or something. Mm-hmm. You know your friends by when they'll point out a typo. So this is a, a friend of mine who lives in Finland. He's a big Blood Bowl fan, and he sent me an email recently saying, hey, there's this version of Blood Bowl called Dungeon Bowl, which is like Blood Bowl, but it's a little more... Um, Actiony. It's not quite as sports simmy. Uh, and the idea is it was a mod to the rules for Blood Bowl, where instead of just playing on an open field, you make a cool dungeon with traps and you have to find the ball in these booby trapped chests and then carry it to the other guy's end zone. Uh, it's more combat y and it's got teleportation pads that zap you around. But the basic rules are the same as Blood Bowl. So this is a tabletop game. Uh, a French company called Cyanide has done a PC version of Blood Bowl that oh, yeah. you can play multiplayer. It apparently has a, it's infamous for having bad AI. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so it has a good following for, for people who are just like, well, screw the AI, we're going to play multiplayer. Uh, so just to take the room's temperature quickly, so McMaster, do you know Blood Bowl? Like, have you played that? I have played the tabletop, I've played the PC version, all that, yeah. Oh, so you're a blood bowler. Is that what you people call yourselves, by the way? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've played almost every GW game. Uh, I've been working in a comic shop and collecting GW stuff for a while. I, you know what? I guess I didn't know that about you, that you were that you knew your blood bowl. Okay. Uh, Dave Perkins, do you blood bowl? No, but like I said earlier, I'm really interested to find out what it's like. So I can't speak specifically about Blood Bowl because I've only tried this Dungeon Bowl. But what Yarmo did uh, is we uh, I, I downloaded Dungeon Bowl. Uh, mm-hmm. Cyanide's approach to the AI problems in Blood Bowl, you know, the approach they've taken in Dungeon <laughs> Bowl is to just say, well, screw it, we're not doing any single player. There's no AI. Mm-hmm. So one of the first problems off the bat with Dungeon Bowl is that when I downloaded it and was like, I'm going to look at it a little bit before Yarmo and I meet for a game, there's no, there's nothing for me to do. You know, It's mm-hmm. multiplayer only. You can do a hot seat game. Uh, so I tried a little bit of that. Uh, I eventually read the rules. The, the documentation is pretty horrible. The UI, by the way, also pretty horrible. Um I also have to say, god-awful graphics. You know, they've done their best with this engine, and it's it's a terrible engine. It doesn't look that good. It's just messy. When you have the little dungeon setting, um, you can look at it top-down, but, you know, it loses a lot. Uh, there's just a lot of extra activity, and uh, I just, I'm just i not crazy about the graphics. Um, and, and a lot of this makes me wonder why Cyanide still has the license for these Warhammer games, because there's a huge following for them. Uh, and they just seem to be doing a uniformly terrible job of translating them in, into PC games. Um, so that that said, uh, we jumped into this. Uh, Yarmo and I played. We, we you you uh, you roll up a, a team, you know, and by roll up you just buy characters for your team. Uh, right. They one of the things that I love about it, and I, here's where I can really see the appeal, and I can really understand why people put up with these graphics, with this documentation, with this UI. Uh, the persistent characters are awesome. Yeah. You know, you've got your team. When a dude is injured, that doesn't just go away after the game. You know, there, there's permadeath here. Uh, yeah. Yarmo was telling me about a great game he had with someone where uh, he ran his main character out, and the guy, you know, you open these booby-trapped chests to see if the ball is in there. The idea is that the dungeon has chests around it, and you have to race your team to open the chests, and one of them has the ball in it. You then take the ball, and you carry it over to the other guy's end zone. Yarmo was telling me about a game he had where another player just moved his uh, one of his characters up, opened a chest, 
and got some kind of bum role where it killed permanently, like his star player. And the guy just disconnected at that point. He was just like, F this game, and he quit out. Uh, but mm-hmm. I have to admire a game that has that kind of persistence and stakes. Like, I, I can see how that would get its hooks into someone. Um, yeah, definitely. It's, it's very heavy on stats. It's very stat-based being a board game. But one of the things that I like is there are only four stats for a character. You know, you've got its movement points. Uh, you've got armor, which has to do with how well it resists injury. But then otherwise, it's mainly just an interaction of its strength and agility. You know, strength is good for bashing. Agility is good for avoiding bashes. And these are basically D6 rolls. Uh, so the, the stat stuff isn't super intricate. Uh, it's pretty streamlined. But what gets intricate and where it gets crazy and where I can see, again, people getting super attached to their teams is so many of these pieces, these characters, these uh, these players that you're using in the game have special little uh, skills and attributes and exceptions to rules. Um, it's just uh, wildly fanciful stuff. Like one of the one of the uh, one of the units I had for my elf team was a big old tree. He's like an ant. Yeah. And one of the things he can do is just decide, uh, you know what, I'm putting down roots. I'm staying here for the rest of the game. You know, that's the drawback for this super powerful unit is he might. The skill is called Take Root. It's kind of like a drawback. Um, there's a big dumb ogre. Uh, every time you give him orders, there's a one in six chance that he's not going to do them. He's just going to stand there and... Stand and, there. Yeah, yeah, confused or whatever, right? So I, I love that even though there's only four stats, there are all these exceptions that give different units personality. Uh, well, what's like really enraging about Blood Bowl, and I'm sure it's the same with Dungeon Bowl, to me at least, uh, is you build these characters up and as you level them up you get to buy more stats and you get to buy more abilities and cool stuff like that. And Which, then, by the yeah. way, hold that thought, McMaster, because one thing that I like about how they do that is there's still die rolling there. Like when a guy levels up, you roll dice and he may or may not get some super uber advantage. Uh, right. So you were going to say what's infuriating, though. Is that... You know, even specifically in Blood Bowl, and if you play in like leagues and stuff like that, is it is really easy to just like lose your best character that you've had forever, and just just with one crappy roll, you know, it's mm. just unbelievable. But see, that's one of the things I kind of admire about it. Like maybe it's easy for me to say that because I'm not invested in a team. I'm not sure this is something I would play in the long term. But I kind of have to, you know, it's like playing Diablo hardcore. Well, I'll give you a perfect example. Like, okay. let's. Uh, this is what happened to me in one of the quarter to three Blood Bowl leagues uh, with Abner. Um, we we started this league. I don't even remember who I played against. Uh, my first game was like okay. I think I won it. The second game, I just got destroyed. I got like seven dudes killed. So at the end of the game, I don't have hardly any points left. So I'm just fielding like the worst players for the rest of the tournament. So it's like I, I never had enough points to actually rebuild my team. So, so you, just, you guys you guys ended up being like Penn State. Right. We were just completely, yeah, it was just like a bunch of nobody uh, playing. Just like the, all the weakest units rushing and uh, just getting murdered every game. It's awesome. But doesn't, though, doesn't the threat of that happening, you know, the, the very real threat that that can happen, doesn't that kind of add to the stakes? Again, it's easy for me to say that, having never been uh, frustrated by that. But in well, theory, I love that it can do that. Sure, I mean it's it's like it's awesome until it happens. Right, right. <laughs> it's, it's not as awesome then. But Master, what's the highest level hardcore character you've lost in Diablo? God, not very. Okay, uh, ten or eleven, maybe. Maybe, maybe McMaster, you're not ready for Blood Bowl. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> Maybe not. You should go back in time quite a bit. Let me know. Uh, one of the things that struck me about it is how how it's very much a kind of a war game about positioning. You know, it's about zones of control, uh, the whole way that tackling and dodging works. Uh, you know, when units move away from being adjacent to another unit, they might be tackled. There has to be a roll. So it's all about arranging your guys along each other and forcing the other guy to either run a gauntlet or supporting the dude, carrying the ball forward. You know, in the game I had with Yarmo, I had these frail little elves. Basically, I was just chucking them into a choke point. And he had a dwarf with literally a steamroller. It's a dwarf that drives a little Zamboni-sized steamroller rolling over uh, my elves just crammed into this choke point to keep the ball from getting to my end zone. Uh, So I just love it's not about, like, shooting guns necessarily. It's all about holding territory. Uh, Yeah, it absolutely is. That's the whole thing with uh, Blood Bowls when you're trying to break through the uh, other team's line. You need to make sure you line up your uh, other units properly because how many of them touching the base of the unit you're attacking and how many of his allies are touching the base of the unit. Right. uh, is attacking uh, depend or makes like a huge difference in uh, how many dice you get to roll. Yep. So it's uh yeah. And there's even cool things like sometimes you know I might get two dice, but because of the way this the unit attributes work out, their skills, the other player gets to pick which die is applied. Like there are little cool right. rules like that. Um, and you know that that thing about like the units interlocking, like ultimately that reminds me of something like Sid Meier's Gettysburg, like those kind of older school war games, which are all about you know make sure your flanks are supported, make sure you're projecting zones of control, like all of that stuff. Uh, you know that appeals to the old school war gamer in me Uh, yeah no absolutely and it's you know it's like every games workshop game there's there's some there's kernels of good in it but they rely so much on dice roll that it kind of takes a lot of the fun out of it for me see i'm okay with well here i just got finished dinging uh, summoner wars for that (laughs) and my reaction is to say i guess i'm okay with that in uh in blood bowl and dungeon bowl just because there's so much Preparation in terms of how I position my units to try to, to try to tweak the die rolls in my favor, uh, like they don't feel capricious. I'm in control of how many dice are rolled and who's picking which die. Uh, like I feel like I have a lot of ways to influence those die rolls. Um, and, and again, I should say, like it was my first exposure to it. Uh, you know, I don't know it nearly as well as you, McMaster. I certainly didn't experience. I lost egregiously by the way but i wasn't invested enough to experience that kind of frustration one of my guys had a broken neck like you know i came out of that with one of my elves had a broken neck and his agility was permanently lowered like i oh yeah uh i like that but but now here's what ultimately i think kills it for me uh i've had people say hey tom you should try like soccer video games because they're like rts's or, or hockey i think i hear that a lot about hockey video games uh, and I've never really given that a shot because I'm not into sports. Like, sports is just something that doesn't appeal to me. Um, I think ultimately for Blood Bowl, uh, I had a friend show me recently this card game called Blood Bowl Team Manager, uh, which is more about, like, the larger seasonal play. It's more like a strategic level game than tactical. Uh, and ultimately, these still feel very sportsy to me you know as much as they're they're about like zones of control and flanking and all that stuff and positioning which is very war gamey it's ultimately still about carrying a ball to an end zone and i that just doesn't have enough of a hook for me uh which is kind of odd because i I think if i were playing a game where you're say 
you know, delivering the rune of power to the crucible of domination in the other guy's citadel, I'd be like, yeah, that sounds cool. Sign me up. But when it's just so transparently carrying a ball and tackling people, I, I don't know. Just I, my eyes kind of glaze over and it, it bounces off of me. Uh, so I, I just think I have sports blinders. I don't know. Uh, you know what? It's that dungeon bowl thing. Sounds like is a dungeon twister. Oh yeah, well, I hate that as well. So <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> Uh, so, all right. So, there's my game of the week. Uh, super thanks to Yarmo, by the way, for patiently. Oh, and here's, by the way, another thing I hate, hate, hate about what Cyanide has done with this freaking potentially cool, accessible game called Dungeon Bowl. There is no way to play it. You can set up a friendly game. You can challenge your buddies. You know, you're not going to be like ranked on the leaderboards, but you're going to get experience points for your dudes and money for your victory. Even in a friendly game, you always, always, always have a two-minute time limit on your freaking turn. And that's two minutes, counting down constantly. You might have as many as 16 characters to move. There is no way to freaking remove that two-minute time oh, limit. Yeah, that is awful. I'd actually forgotten about that. That oh. is wretched. This is a turn-based game. You know, don't... And it's a casual, friendly game I'm playing with my buddy who's trying to explain to me in those two minutes, like, what's going on and what mistakes I might have made or what things I can try differently. And, oh, my time limit's up. My turn is over. Now, he would do things like then skip his turn to come back to me, but... Why on earth would they hard-code that in there, even for friendly games? I understand why that's there if you're going to play a competitive game and you don't want someone to time it out or whatever. But, oh, that's just so – it's just so clumsy. That was so frustrating. Uh, so. No, yeah. There, well, there's a lot wrong with it. I mean, the artificial intelligence has just got awful. And uh, there's nothing you can fix about certain aspects of the dice rolling system. It's just, uh, but either way. Yeah. All right, so uh, there are our games of the week. McMaster, what's left? I think that's uh, I think that's it. All right. Dave Perkins, did you see the uh, Batman movie? Oh, God. No, I, I did not. I, I don't think Jason liked it. Uh, I don't think anybody <laughs> on this podcast had seen it liked it. <laughs> plenty, oh. plenty of people liked it. No, it's doing well critically. So, uh, Dave Perkins, you should go see it. No, I don't think I want to. Come on, just for the water cooler aspect. <laughs> uh, Dave Perkins, if you go hang out with uh, Jason L. McMaster in Wyoming, where he lives, you can see uh, the Batman ri- or Dark Knight Rises at a drive-in theater. Did you know that those still existed? We have one down the road from us. What the? What? Does everyone but me have a drive-in theater near them? Apparently, <sighs> there's plenty of them. What are you talking about? Not, not there, near me. This is like one for each state. Uh-huh. Oh, well, the California one is probably somewhere up like uh, Northern California or nobody. I, you know, we have like abandoned drive-ins, sure, but I didn't know we had functional ones. So you guys go to these, and you it's the thing where you pull up your car and you hook the little speaker box in your window, like that whole thing? They uh, actually uh, broadcast it over radio now. Mm-hmm. So you get but, to yeah. use your car's sound system. That's oh. Yeah. 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 McMaster, do they have double features? Do you get two movies when you go to a drive-in? Yeah, the second one uh, for us was the new Spider-Man movie, and it uh-huh. didn't start until like mid after midnight. And I was like, I'm not that interested. You so, made the right uh, choice. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, just one overlong, bad, turgid superhero movie a night is usually plenty for anyone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, so there, oh, yeah, go ahead, Dave. I was just going to 
say that if this were the movie podcast, I would of course ask what you guys thought or why you didn't like it. But I'll just take Jason's sigh as eloquence enough. McMaster, <laughs> yeah, give us McMaster the elevator pitch for what what's your problem with Dark Knight Rises, McMaster? Um well, I mean, there's so many, but I, I think one of the biggest ones, other than, uh, okay, Bane sounds like Catherine Hepburn to me, and I can never unhear that now. So there's that. Um, his story is stupid. Uh, the the reveals are stupid. Uh, there's not that much Batman in it. <laughs> he spends he spends a lot of time retired. Sure. Yeah, and the Hell on Earth prison is just a joke to me. So, Master, I'm going to do an impression of a character from. Uh, Dark Knight Rises, I want you to tell me who it is. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. Uh, Alfred. <laughs> Wrong, that, was Catwoman. that was Catwoman wearing Bane's mask. It's, such a, it's so stupid. Oh, God, his voice kills me. And it, I don't know. It, it's just that whole the whole thing. It's just rehash and uh, awful. Uh, ugh. Dave Perkins, you must have gone to some summer movie that you dug, right? What did, what did you see this summer that you really liked that you can leave us with a recommendation for? Well, you've already seen it. You saw Brave. That was my. That'd be my recommendation for the summer. You know what? I will accept your recommendation, and I'll go see it a second time. Whoa! Wow! All Very right. good. <laughs> uh, all right. So those listening, that's the official Dave Perkins movie recommendation. Uh, well, I, I should probably, for the, for the record, say that I've only seen two movies this summer, so that's only one out of two. The other was uh, The Avengers, which I enjoyed. Oh, and yeah. then as I walked out of the theater, I thought, that's probably the last superhero movie I think I need to see in my life. You know, Kinda Dave, like that bunch of make a be. bunch of things for the RTSs. That, it was that moment. It was a make a bunch of things moment for me. Yeah, yeah, but there's still a bunch of games that are good. No, I can't. I'm sorry. I can't accept that parallel. I, I reject your parallel. Okay. Re- parallel rejected. What were you going to say about the movie? Oh, you've done very well this summer, Dave Perkins. Oh, uh, okay. if, you're, if you're just going to pick two movies to see, uh, you've made the exact right choice. Well well done. I chose poorly. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see Cabin in the Woods. I still have not seen Cabin That's in the not Woods. a summer movie. That's a spring movie. Was it? I don't know anymore. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> and another uh, Joss Whedon joint, by the way. Yeah, oh, he only wrote it. I've even got no. He wrote it. Drew Goddard directed that, but it's 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 Whedon-y. It's Whedon-esque. It's got Whedon qualities it's, to it. It's um, got Whedon fever. Yeah. <laughs> nice. All right, so uh, McMaster, what format will we bring to listeners next week? A little song, a little dance, a little seltzer on your pants. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable with that last part. <laughs> oh, can I come back then? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it will be. Uh, thanks for folks listening. Uh, 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 a reminder, please. Okay, let me get, rate us on iTunes, donate to us on Facebook, and like us on PayPal. We'll be back next week. I've been Tom Chick uh, here with Jason McVin Master and Dave. Thank you so much for coming back, and uh, I hope your knee gets better soon. What's the prognosis for how long you're going to be bedridden? Oh, I'm not bedridden. I've actually been walking around the room. Whoa, the whoa, whoa. Is that, is that allowed? Oh. Is the doctor okay with that? Maybe you should oh, yeah. sit down. Okay. Let's calm it down. <laughs> you know what? That's <laughs> no, fine. I thought you were, like, bedridden and getting in all this iPad time. Mm, only fake. as much as I can fake it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Dave Perkins, where can we go to get some of that delicious bread that you've baked? 
well, about a half hour west of Scranton, Pennsylvania, because it's uh, it gets eaten so fast that it wouldn't. Uh, you just got to come here. All right. Uh, and by the way, do you have a cat in the room right now? Nope. All right. Abandoned me. So no no cat sign offs. Uh, instead, it's just us. So thanks. But there are yes. There are two horses right outside my window. That's that's unusual enough, I suppose. Are those allowed? Like oh, are they? Yes. Okay, so it's like a, you condone the horses being there. They're not, like, trespassing. No, no Michelle. Horses. Michelle trains them. Wild They're standing horses. in a paddock. Oh, you know what? I actually did know that because you told us about her doing yeah. that. Yeah. That's right. Very cool. Yeah. You know How what, do I, you guys feel about dressage? Oh, well, that's what she trains. So she was... Really? Uh, yeah, exactly. Mid-style. All right. <laughs> that's right. We just showed... <laughs> We just showed Michelle's dad the uh, Stephen Colbert declaring your side as the sport of the summer. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. That was, that was yeah. a great bit. Yeah. I really can't was. help but feel that you just asked him a very, very personal question, McMaster. I did. <laughs> but we, we got through it unscathed. Very well done. Uh, all right, so folks, join us next week for uh, more games of the week, more news of the week. Like I said, I'm Tom Chick. I've been here with uh, Jason McVan Master and uh, Dave. Thanks for hanging out, and we'll see everyone next time. My thanks to you. Was this choice of music too elliptical? Oh, yeah. no, I don't like, think so. Uh, no? Like, like, no, uh, like, summoner, like Summoner Wars, Calling, Summoner, I don't know. That's, oh, no, I was like, thinking of Deborah Harry, the actress. I don't wow. know. Wow. From Videodrome. Yeah, from Videodrome, right, yeah, with all the piercing and everything. Wait, why would I pick that? I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>